Listener Production. Can we fully eradicate malaria? I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is The Science Briefing, a podcast about the science of everything. In many parts of the world, a mosquito bite can be deadly. In 2020, there were 241 million malaria cases worldwide and over 600,000 deaths. Today, Cosmos Magazine journalist Jacinta Bowler on eliminating malaria and what it will take to get us there. So Jacinta, before we jump into how we're tracking globally when it comes to eliminating malaria, can we step back for a second? What do we need to know about this disease? So the main thing most people might already know is that malaria is transmitted to humans from mosquitoes. So someone is bitten by an infected mosquito and can catch the disease. But mosquitoes are just the carrier. In fact, it's the parasites in the mosquitoes which cause malaria. These are called plasmodium parasites, and they're really good at infecting people. And these parasites have been around for ages. By some estimates, they've been around as long as the dinosaurs. Okay, that's actually insane. Now, I want to get a sense of what the malaria situation is like across the globe in 2022. Where has malaria been eradicated? I mean, we don't really hear much about it here in Australia. So the eradication of malaria around the globe is quite patchy. Mm -hmm. These parasites have been around for a long time, but it wasn't until 1955 when the World Health Organization started taking strides to eradicate the disease. And the programs that they introduced to do this were quite successful in some areas. So even before, the United States was considered malaria-free from 1951. Okay. Europe has been malaria-free since 1975. Australia eradicated malaria in 1981. And only last year in 2021, China received a malaria-free certification from the WHO. So these are just a few places that have eliminated the disease but there's still a large number of countries around the globe experiencing rising malaria numbers. So which countries are still on the front lines when it comes to malaria? So in Africa, in 2020, it was home to 95% of malaria cases and 96% of malaria deaths. Whoa. Also, countries like South Africa, Thailand and the Dominican Republic are still reporting cases, but they are getting closer to eradicating it. Papua New Guinea was doing quite well, it was able to bring down its cases up until 2014. But after that, numbers started rising again. In 2019, they reported almost 650,000 cases. I actually spoke to someone from PNG. Her name is Hare Haro. Hare lives in Port Moresby in Papua New Guinea. And she says that when she was growing up, malaria was something that came up all the time. I think when I was much younger, I thought that it was just part of life. But as I grew older, I started realizing that it could be become scary because people could actually die from having malaria if they didn't get treatment on time. Hare herself has actually had malaria a number of times. The worst one for me would have been when I was I think 17 or 18. I was sick for about a week. For the first couple of days where I actually couldn't get up and walk, I couldn't uh, move around without assistance mm. from my family. She says the symptoms are awful. The thing about malaria is that it affects your whole system and then you lose your sense of 
taste um, in food and things like that. You lose your appetite, dizzying headaches. Um, when the fever sets in, your whole body can feel like it's on fire one minute and then you get the chills the next. A lot of people think of malaria as a disease that rarely kills. But Hare knows that that's not always the case. Her biological mother actually passed away from cerebral malaria. Cerebral malaria is the most severe neurological complication of infection caused by the malaria parasite. I don't think anyone wishes anyone to get malaria in Papua New Guinea. When I had that worst case of malaria for me, so I was a bit older, but then if you see it happen in, in children here, it's quite heartbreaking. It's, you know, they're so sick, they don't want to eat, they lose appetite, quite scary. And if you don't bring the fevers down quickly enough, you know, it can lead to complications. Jacinta, that's truly horrifying. Looking at what the answers are here, what sort of defences do we have against malaria in 2022? The thing about malaria is that there isn't one single tool to prevent it. You have to combine a bunch of different tools. So for one, you have your basic defences. These are things like mosquito bed nets. These are nets over your bed that are insect treated. So they have sprays on them to stop mosquitoes going near it. There's also indoor sprays, which are sprayed inside the home to be able to stop mosquitoes going in there. Also, anti-malarial drugs. This includes a tablet that you can take if you've contracted the disease. And then there's contact tracing too. So like with COVID, you can actually check who got malaria and how to prevent the spread. Mm -hmm. Then you have more clinical treatments and preventions. There are a number of vaccines. One is created by Glasgow SmithKline, a big pharma company. And it was just given permission last year by the WHO to be used in Africa. But another vaccine by a team at Oxford University has built on this and created something that they say is more effective and can be manufactured at a larger scale. There's also prophylaxis treatments for kids. So these are anti-malarials given after malaria. So once the kids have recovered, this stops kids getting another more deadly bout of malaria And a study found that this leads to a 70% drop in hospital readmissions and deaths. And bigger picture stuff, there are public health campaigns to encourage people to go to the doctor when they're sick and get treatment. Now, when I spoke to Hare, she said in places like PNG, not everyone is getting access to the treatment that they need. It's not equally distributed. There have been campaigns around that. There were when the introduction of new drugs came about, that is still hard for people in, in villages to access. And why is that the case? Why are the people who actually need these treatments and defenses the most not actually getting them? This is a really complex issue, but to be brief, It's mostly people in PNG cities who have access to the treatment. Areas further out don't have as much access. And the villages are really remote and only accessible by limited means. There's also not a lot of doctors there. There might be healers, but not necessarily people who have access to these treatments. In Hari's opinion, she thinks the government and organisations like the WHO are doing the best they can, not only to roll out these treatments and preventions, but also to educate people on why they're necessary. But... She also says it's one thing for the government to roll them out and another for the community to take them on board. Unfortunate to say that a lot of people still prefer traditional herbs and healing options rather than going to a clinic to get treatment. And most times people are hesitant to do that too simply because 
those clinics outside the hospital are already full with people. They don't want to go in and sit there and wait. There is another thing I want to talk about now. There's a good case study also in Southeast Asia, another of Australia's neighbours, and it's shown how strong campaigns, preventions and treatment can bring malaria numbers down. And that's in a place called Timor Island. Okay, so what do we need to know about Timor Island and how they've handled malaria? So Timor Island actually has two countries that share the island, Timor-Leste and a part of Indonesia called West Timor. So according to the WHO, Timor Island was one of the high malaria endemic areas well into the 1990s. Mm -hmm. Around this time, Timor-Leste was actually reporting more malaria cases than West Timor. But in recent years, the situation has flipped with Timor-Leste really revving up its efforts to eradicate the disease. Right, so what happened here? I mean, why did we see a flip in the number of malaria cases between these two places? There are a few factors at play here. One, Timor-Leste became independent in 2002. This meant that they had more support to be able to pump money and resources into strategies to get rid of malaria. From there, they set up a national malaria control program and rolled out a number of strategies. This included basics like distributing insecticidal nets, so those mosquito covers over people's beds I was talking about before, indoor residual spraying, so spraying insecticides inside people's homes, and then also larval source management to prevent mosquitoes from breeding. In the years after this, cases dropped massively, and they haven't reported a locally transmitted case since 2018. They're now working towards getting their malaria elimination certificate from the WHO. And interestingly, now Timor-Leste is working with its neighbour, West Timor, to develop a joint strategy to eliminate malaria across the whole island. Okay, so Jacinta, just to recap, we know there are effective strategies and defences against malaria, and we're also seeing collaboration between countries to try and eradicate it, like in Timor Island. It's a big question, but is total eradication across the globe actually possible? If we're to stay on Timor Island for a second, Timor-Leste is basically on the road to eradication if they keep doing what they're doing. Now, with West Timor, I think they absolutely have a shot at eradicating malaria. There's a lot of incentive for Timor-Leste to help because they are just so close to each other that it's unsustainable not to eradicate it over the whole island. Globally, it's, I'm going to say, a lot harder. There are lots of really impressive technologies coming out to be able to lower rates of malaria. Everything from vaccines to special non-malaria mosquitoes who outcompete the malaria mosquitoes. But one researcher I spoke to for this story told me that he thinks that, yes, we can eradicate malaria fully, but it will cost a lot of money. The Gates Foundation has estimated it would take between 90 and $120 billion to eradicate malaria fully by 2040. Whoa. And this isn't just a technological problem. It's also whether there's political will from countries that have eradicated the disease to help those that are still on the front lines. Jacinta Bowler is a science journalist for Cosmos magazine. You can read more of Jacinta's reporting by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. And if you're a fan of the show, don't forget to subscribe. You can download the Listener app to listen for free or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a review. Let us know what you think. 
The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe. Mixing by Dave Stein. Our executive producer is Carla Arnold. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time.